So the, today is the second to last in our side-by-side series, and uh, today we're going to be looking at three stories Jesus told in response to a statement that was often put to him. We'll come to that statement in a bit, and the stories are familiar if you've been around church for a while. <clears throat> the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, all of which reveal to us Jesus' heart towards us and the heart that we should have and can have towards those who are far from God. And uh, if you're a Christian here today, hopefully, and it's sort of come out a little bit in our worship, you know the depths of the condition that you were once were in, that we were lost before him, that sense of lostness. And one, there was a day once in our lives, we might have been in a Sunday school somewhere, or you might have been wherever, you know, in a pub even, or McDonald's or somewhere else, where someone told you the good news of Jesus, and you responded and followed him and become a Christian. And that was the best news you ever heard in your whole entire life. Whatever happens in the future, that was the best thing that could ever have happened to you. And also, just if you follow that through, that is the best news we could ever offer someone else. And uh, so it's exciting. And so today is about the, ti- the title is Lost and Found. And a question for you, not, don't answer me back this just yet, but um, have you ever lost something of great worth? And uh, I'm not talking about your no claims bonus or something like that, but something of great worth. I mean, it's a bit annoying to lose your no claims bonus. But anyway, something of real worth. And just picture the scene, 1992. Some of you can remember it. Some of you may not so, so much. Maybe you weren't even born. But 1992, there I am on the beach, relaxing, looking a little better than I am today. Um, surely not. Surely not. <laughs> you know, looking, feeling good about life. And I said to my wife, I got at that point I had two kids. One was three, the other one was about one and a half, that sort of age. And I said to my wife, Where, "Where's Joshua?" And uh, this beach was heaving. It was one of those. It was it was in Cornwall in the middle of summer. The sun was out, the surf's happening, and all that. And it was a packed out beach. Oh, by the way, where's Joshua? I don't know. Where is Joshua? Suddenly you have that moment. And if you're a parent, it's probably happened to you somewhere. And if it hasn't, it might happen at some point in the future. This sort of thing happens as parents. And uh, my wife said, I don't know. Suddenly, panic ensued for a, for a little while, you know. So, forgot about the other one, Daniel. He could hardly move anyway. You know, he was young. I don't know how old he was. But strap him in a buggy or something like that. We're now on this mad search for Joshua. And we're telling everyone around us, come and find this. What does he look like? He looks like every other kid on this beach, it <laughs> seems like. And I sort of run athletically to the front, you know, where the sea is, and there's the lifeguards there. And uh, I say, I've lost my son. He looks, you know, describe him and stuff like that. And he says to me, don't worry, we'll find him. And he immediately turns out to the sea like this. And I'm thinking, he thinks he's dead. You know, that was my thoughts. Slight panic and a slight overreaction. And those who know me, I can be a, a little overdramatic about a few things. But that was going on in, in my life. And I don't know how long it was. It was probably 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes and then here he comes with some lady who's found him, and somehow they found their way back to us. We'd lost for a short while our son, and it was of, he was of great worth. He still is, just so to reassure you. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not quite. No, that's not true. There was relief. There was joy. You know, all those emotions were coming out. Oh, I'll never do that again. You know, watch him every moment of every second for the next hour. Anyway, 
when you lose something of great value, you do everything possible to find it. And at the heart of the three stories today is how God feels and acts towards the whole of mankind, you and I, and what we are called to do in response. What is our response to this, these three stories? It's familiar stuff to some of us, as I said, but allow it again to have its full impact on your life. So if you've been a Christian three minutes or 30 years or even longer, this, this story, if it's even longer, can be very familiar. But the aim is for it to again grip us and challenge us. So let's read the stories. Luke 15, verses 1 to 3. We're just going to take it bit by bit. So it says this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So it's a familiar scene. The religious rulers grumbling about Jesus, and that's what they seem to do fairly regularly. And why is he spending time with these sort of people? The tax collectors, they were not a, well, they were not a good bunch of people. If, you, if you've ever heard a preach on this, everyone would say the tax collectors were not the most liked people. Basically, they were Jewish guys who massively overtaxed the rest of the Jewish people so that they could cream off a load of stuff, load of money for themselves. They were pretty much a very disliked bunch of people. And they're saying, this man, this is the Pharisee saying, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Why do you hang out with these people who are so far from God? Surely you should be with us. And that we can debate big, big, I can't even say the words. I probably would, big theological questions. Let's add a few more rules to what's going on. That sort of thing. That may be on their mind. That's the sort of thing. And it's interesting, I think, as well, and probably a fact for most of us anyway, that the longer that you've been a Christian, the fewer non-church friendships you have and you hold on to. But Jesus was often found hanging out with those who were least likely to be in the synagogues. Jesus said this, it's not the health you need, a doctor, but those who are sick. And, you know, I love church. I love new community. I love being Eltham. I love hanging out with you guys and we have a wonderful community. There's great friendship in this place. It's brilliant. People don't want to go home at the end. We have to lock up later and later. It's a brilliant, brilliant place to be. I love it, and I'm sure you love it too. It's a great community. But there's something about I need to find room for others. I need to find room for those who don't yet know Jesus. And this is a good picture, really. Jesus hanging out with those who were far off, those who were lost, so Jesus could have given a really nice little cute little answer to, the, to these guys, the Pharisees. He could have said, I'm just commissioned to preach the good news to the poor. That would have sufficed. That would have been enough to have you know, satisfied them as an answer. But he is the master teacher. Jesus takes it always to another level. He takes it deeper and he searches the heart and he brings and gives a heart-piercing answer. And he answers it in the form of three stories. The lost sheep the lost coin, and the lost son. So staying in Luke 15, 4 to 6, it says this. So we're going to go through these three stories, and it says this. What, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbours, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. 
the lost sheep. The shepherd has a hundred sheep and one is lost. We've got a great song that's been popular now for I don't know how long, but we love singing it and uh, we might sing it at some point. Who knows? But there's this point that one sheep is lost. One has been a bit wayward, has done his own thing. Maybe this doesn't describe in the story what happened to that one sheep. Maybe it's injured. Maybe it's in danger. But the shepherd responds. He leaves the 99 and he pursues the one sheep that's lost. <clears throat> and when he finds that sheep, he doesn't like tell the sheep off. He doesn't castigate this sheep. He doesn't have a go at the sheep. What are you playing at, you foolish sheep? You know, what have you done found yourself in another ravine. You did that last week. This is not the response of the shepherd. He puts the, she the sheep round his shoulders. <clears throat> he takes care of the sheep. He doesn't scold the sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd. John 10, 14 says this. This is what Jesus says about himself as the shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? He's the good shepherd. He knows us. If, you're of his, if you are one of his sheep, he knows you intimately, lovingly, personally, and he lays down his life for you. <clears throat> but we can be like that lost sheep, right? We go our own way from time to time. Even if you're a Christian here, sometimes we just divert off on our own little path, our own little plans, and we can get ourselves in difficult situations. You know the sort of thing. We can find ourselves lost and broken, and sometimes it's even of our own doing. But what does this story tell us? He carries us. Today you may have troubles. Today you may have things that concern you. You have wounds even of your own making. Well, the story really helps us to say Jesus wants to carry you. He wants you to come back to him. He wants to carry you through every situation and every trouble you ever have. His word says he loves us to the end. He is kind and patient. He will never leave you or forsake you. That's the heart of the good shepherd. Carrying on with the story, Luke 15, verses uh, 6 and 7. says this, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbours, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. It's great, isn't it? There is much rejoicing. Much rejoicing over one person. Whenever we hear of a person who becomes a Christian... We have meetings all over the place. And the one thing that we rejoice over the most is when someone has come back to God. When someone is lost and says, I've found Jesus. Or better, the real terminology is, Jesus has found me. <clears throat> There's so much celebration. It's brilliant. And, <clears throat> excuse me, I need a drink of water. We have baptisms here, and I'd love baptisms to be every month. But when we do have baptisms... And uh, we put up this temporary baptistry and someone gets baptised and they're saying, I belong to Jesus. This, Jesus is my saviour, he's my Lord. I was lost and now I'm found. And what you'll see, if you ever come along and you just observe, you'll see great joy in the room. Because there's a recognition of something dramatic and amazing has taken place. Much celebration. Then Jesus tells the story of the lost coin. 
And it says this, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbours, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This woman is probably a widow. Those ten coins, when I first read this a long, long time ago, I thought were ten coins. You're making a lot of fuss over one coin. Because in my head, I'm thinking ten, fifty p's or whatever. You know, it might not mean a lot. But what's going on here, <clears throat> the ten coins are probably from the estate of her dead husband. She was probably a widow. It had large monetary value. But it also had a lot of value in terms of sentimental value. So these coins are actually really important, really precious to this woman. They're probably her life savings and she's lost one of them. So it's quite a big deal that she's lost this one coin and she sweeps the house clean till she finds the coin. And then there's great celebration. Then Jesus tells the third story and this is the longest story, the story of the lost son or the, the, the story of the prodigal son. And each story grows in intensity. There's the one in the hundred. One sheep's gone and he leaves the 99 and he goes for the one. And then there's the one coin gone and so it's now down to ten. And then in this last one, there's one son who's lost. He has two sons and one son takes off. And just in case, you know, I think Jesus is, he is the master teacher. And in case you don't get it over the lost sheep and the lost coin, he brings it right home. When, when a human person is lost... He's looking to find this person. Let's read the story, 15, Luke 15, 11 to 24. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the young son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. <clears throat> Here is what's going on. Jesus is asked that question, why do you hang out with people far from God? And his answer is, lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. Jesus wants them to figure out what the stories mean what is behind it all, and for us to understand the meaning. The three stories have got four common threads running through them. Jesus, why do you hang out with people far from God? One, people are lost. Two, people are loved. Three, people are looked for. And four, people are found when celebrated. 
<clears throat> so let's take this one at a time. We've got four points. People are lost. People without God are lost. And I don't mean a little bit lost, like I'm not sure where I am. <clears throat> I'm in the wrong part of Elton, but I'll find my way eventually to the high street. Given enough time, I'll figure this out. I mean, like really lost, lost without no hope. Like the story of my three-year-old son, of his own volition, he there's no way he would have ever found his way back to a crowded beach of thousands of people. And some, some lady found, got him back to us. Great. It wouldn't have happened on his own. And it's the same for us. God comes to seek and to save the lost. Lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. This is the story, the lost son, what real lostness really looks like. <clears throat> the son has real disregard for his, for, his, for his dad. He acted selfishly, his desires. It was what he wanted. He was, I'm ready now. I'm going to take on the world. I'm going to go and have a lot of fun. I'm going to have some wild living. I'm going to do what I want to do. And he went for it. And the son realised at some point down the track, and it doesn't give us a time span, <clears throat> excuse me, but he went for the wild living and he came to that point at the end of himself where he said, I'm completely lost. And he said, I'm willing to go back and be a servant. He was a son, but he was willing to go back and be a servant, a slave, because he was at the end of himself. The son was lost and we're all lost before God. That's our place before God. In the book of James, he says, we are at odds with God. In the book of Matthew, it says we're spiritually sick. Our hearts are sinful and being lost actually is a big problem. And the trouble is we can often think, well, I'm a bit lost because I've made a few dodgy decisions over the last six months or six years or longer. Or we've messed up a little bit or even a lot. But it's not really or it's not at all about correcting a few bad decisions. And it's not about correcting some bad behaviour. It runs so much deeper. It's, it's about something so much deeper. The problem is right at the core of our being. We're lost before God. And it's good to feel the weight of that lostness. And as we was worshipping, obviously I've been thinking about this for a while. And I thought, I recognise the weight of the lostness I, wa I was at before God, before I became a Christian a long, long time back when I was 24. And it's good to remind ourselves and feel the weight of it and and not, uh, not have that over-familiar sense. So if you've been a Christian a long time, it can be easy to just, this is what we do, it's Sunday, it's 11 o'clock or five past, and we'll start worship, and I'll get into it in a bit. But to feel the weight, I was once so far away from God, and there was nothing I can do. I can't correct my behaviour, that's not going to be enough. We're completely lost. And when we're lost, we don't live as we should. Each of us, you know, we're creating the image of God, and he loves us. And he puts in a few boundaries, but he loves us. And, and he's not a dictator. It's because he loves us so much that he's got good things for us. When we're lost, as I said, we don't live like we should. But here in the story, the son, he uses his dad. He takes his inheritance and off he goes. And the friends, if you can call them that, of the son, use the son. And when we're not living the way God wants us to live, we don't get it right. We make mistakes, we get it wrong. And we're lost and we want to put, you know, we put other things before God. The son wanted the father's stuff and the friends wanted the son's stuff and it all came to a crash into an end. Being lost ultimately leads to us being empty and enslaved. That's what it means to be lost. The son walks in a path that he might have thought right at the outset, I'm sure his father 
would have had other thoughts and told him other things. But it promised so much satisfaction. I've got a pocket full of money, loads of money. I can do what I want. I can go where I want. But it was short-lived satisfaction. And sometimes we can do the same. Something out there can look a little bit enticing, attractive. But there's nothing better than walking with God. Lostness means we're enslaved. You see, we were meant to live for God. That's what he had for us. That's what he's got for us. And whatever we live for, and it can be really subtle. The, the, the story of the son is like dramatic and he's taken off and he's going for wild living. But for others, you know, for us in 21st century Eltham, you know, been a Christian a while, it can be subtle. But there can be things in our lives that are, they're our master really. It can be work. It can be even our children. It can be relationships. It can be position. Those sort of things can enslave us and be the things that are actually are our master. And God wants us to know the depths of his love for us. And he wants us to walk in fullness of joy. And the only way to know this joy and peace and love is to know the Father. Everything else can taste good for a while. And that's not to say you shouldn't enjoy good things. God gives us good things. Enjoy them. Make the most of them. But ultimately, he's the one who will give us the ultimate pleasure, long lasting for eternity. Everything else is going to fade and perish and break. Only the love of God and God himself will never fade, will never change. So that's the first point. The second one, people are loved. That's what we learn from these parables, that people are loved. And the effect, what effect does the lostness have on the shepherd, the widow and the father? The shepherd is he's really shattered. Like he's gone, you know, if it was me, if I was a shepherd, I think 99 out of 100, I've done a reasonably good job. You know, that's not bad. I think my boss would be happy with that. But no, the shepherd is broken by this. He says, I've lost one. I'm going to go and find it. I cannot afford to lose one. But it's about a personal relationship. He knew the sheep. I'm not saying he named them, but he knew every sheep there. And it bothered him. And he went to find. The widow is weeping. There's something. The coin matters. It wasn't just a 50p coin in the corner, whatever. It was a coin that made a lot to her, meant a lot to her. Of, per, of value, but also sentimental representation. She was me- weeping because it mattered. And the dad, the father in the story of the lost son, he's also devastated by what's gone on. He's broken. His reputation is broken because his son's taken off. It wouldn't have looked good in the community, but he can live with that. But he's not really living so well with the fact that his son has taken off. There's a brokenness to it. And he's devastated. And the father is continually looking out on the horizon for his son's return. So what's Jesus saying in these stories? The Pharisees are saying, why are you hanging out with these people? Jesus says, these people matter. They matter to me. I love them. I miss them. I care for them. I want them to know me. And when people are lost, you feel lonely. You can feel just no one cares It's all about, you know, it's all on you. No one stands with you. No one cares about you. But Jesus cares about every single person. Whether they know it or not, he cares about them. He loves them. Verse 20 says, the father had compassion on his son. He ran to him. He embraced him. The story of the father running is like there's not a lot of dignity in a middle-aged man running across whatever is in front of him, a field. It wouldn't have been full of decorum. He wouldn't have ever done that. But he's run and he's embraced him. He's brought him close in, not at arm's length. And Jesus is te- when Jesus told this story, he could have just told it matter of fact. But this story, I think, is so, so crucial, so helpful. Because Jesus paints a picture. 
it's vivid. It's, it's got full of emotion. It's like rich with emotion. The father's love is lavish. He's not holding back. You know, if it was I, and maybe if it was you, there would be the embrace. Oh, I'm so glad you're back. There would have been a scolding at some point. We'll deal with the other things at some other point. And maybe you'd be like that. I think I'd be like that. Looking at you like you're thinking, no, it's only you, Tony. Anyway, that's how I would be. But the father's love is lavished upon him. It's unrestrained. It's enthusiastic. He brings about full restoration. So people are loved. And the third point, people are looked for. And this is another thread in the stories. People are looked for. The shepherd looks for the sheep. The woman turns the house upside down to find the lost coin. And then it says in verse 20, while he was still a long way off, the father saw him. He saw his son. The father is searching the horizon. And that would have been going on day after day, looking. His son's going to return at some point and looking out. And that's what the father God does towards us when we're lost. Jesus is actively seeking out, seeking out the lost. And when I became a Christian, I was, you know, I didn't really feel like I was seeking out Jesus and you might say, I think I was. Actually, he's the one doing all the seeking. He sought you out, whether you were six years old or 36 years old. When you turned to Jesus, when you said, Jesus, I'm following you, he sought you out. He loves you. God set about a rescue plan. We've all sinned. We've all messed up. That lostness, that's why I think it's really vital to grasp the lostness. Even when we've been a Christian a long time, God, that's where I was. And now look what he's done. He's poured his lavish love upon our lives and he set out a rescue plan. It says in Luke 19, 10, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came for sinners just like you and me. There's an active seeking out. He's full of compassion for the lost and the broken. And so if you're broken today, whether you're a Christian and you feel damaged and, and stuff has gone on and you're in a bit of a way, Jesus seeks you out. He cares about you. Like that shepherd who puts the sheep round his, round his shoulders. That's what Jesus wants to do for you and for me today on a daily basis. He loves us. And if you're here today and you're going, well, I don't even know this Jesus. He's seeking you. He loves you. He wants you to come into this relationship, to know him, to know that love. And the fourth point is when people are found it says, when people are found, they are celebrated. And I love that. I just love the whole thing of, you know, I wouldn't say I'm the biggest party animal in the world. <laughs> Probably that's, no, I, I was going to say something. I'm that's a good step forward for me because I was going to say something which wouldn't have been helpful. <laughs> I'm not the most biggest party animal. Let's go back to that. But there is a real, in my heart, when I know someone has said, I'm now following Jesus, there's a party in my heart. And there will be for others too. But more importantly, much bigger, there's a party in heaven. There's a celebration. Because this is the biggest, most exciting, wonderful event that could ever happen. We were lost. When we say lost, completely lost. Away from God. An eternity without God. And then we come to know him. It doesn't mean our life's going to be perfect and sorted. But he will be with us forever. Not just through this life, but through eternity. Wow. No wonder there's a celebration. No wonder when we have a baptism, people cheer and shout, even when they don't normally. We cheer and shout because this is an incredible moment. Away from God, and now we know God. 
how much more with God who's the, who really does know how to celebrate. Not like a sort of a bit stuffy British person really knows how to celebrate. Celebrate. There's a party in every one of these stories. The shepherd has a party with much rejoicing. The woman has a party again with rejoicing. And the father has a big triumphant party. He doesn't hold back. And it's full of other little symbolisms. He puts on a robe, which amounts to the robe of righteousness of Christ. When you became a Christian, it wasn't that he saw potential in you or me. Oh, yeah, I think I could use that one. <laughs> He's got a few skills I could use, stacking chairs or whatever, a bit more than that maybe. No, we're totally lost. We're totally away from God. We got nothing, we bring nothing to the table. And he clothes us. That moment we say, Jesus, I'm following you. He puts on a robe of righteousness. And now God the Father sees us how he sees Jesus. Not all the little problems and, and issues we have. The robe of righteousness. Never get over familiar with that truth. When we come to Christ, he puts that on you and he puts it on us. It's a status. We're accepted by God because of this robe of righteousness. And then he puts a ring on his finger. It's the father's own ring. And, <clears throat> you know, it's not just any old ring. It's a symbol of authority. Like when you go and pay for, pay for an event, uh, anything under 30 quid, contactless. We can all do that now. Even I can do that. <clears throat> but things are moving forward. But this represents so much more. This ring was how you paid for things. How you, it was authority. It meant so much more. And what the father is doing there, he's saying, son, you represent me in the world now. And that's the same for us. God has put like a, a ring on our finger that we're now ambassadors of Christ. We're his workmanship. He's changed us. He's put a robe of righteousness on us and he sends us into the world to represent him. When you come to Christ, God becomes your significance. You get to represent him in the world. You get your own signet ring. What a privilege. What a joy to know you represent the king of kings. And the point is this, if found, there's the celebration. Jesus sums it up all in verse 10. I tell you this, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who, resent, uh, resents, who repents. Wow, a party in heaven. And there are people coming to Christ every minute of every day, tens and thousands and millions of people across the globe. And there's a party in heaven for each and every one of them. Amazing. Nothing makes God's heart beat more with joy than when one person comes to know, to know him. And they ask the question, why do you hang out with these people? Because people are lost. They can't save themselves. They need saving. Same, it's the same for us. Jesus, why do, why do you hang out with these people? Because he loves them. People are loved. I can't, but I can't help but gravitate to these people. People are looked for. Because Jesus is looking. That day when you turned to Christ, he was looking for you. He called you in. He's on an all-out rescue mission for the world. From every tribe and every tongue and every nation. He loves the world. He sent his son to die. It's amazing. Because there's a chance people can be found. And then it's party time. We're here in Elton because we want to see people get saved. Because it's the best news ever. We're not, we're not sort of ashamed to say that, right out there. It's why we're here. And if people 
you know, find their way here. They, you know, for whatever reason, and, and they're already Christians. Great, come on in, join, join the celebration. Get on board. Come and find and tell others about Jesus. But we're here to tell the people of Elton and beyond about the love of Jesus because it changes everything. So, what does that mean for us today? Three things. If you haven't come to Jesus, if you're in this room today and you're not sure, you're thinking, "Ah, oh, I've heard a lot about Jesus." but I don't know as I've really come to him. Today, you can come to him right now. And as I've been saying, it doesn't matter what you've done. It matters what he's done. It doesn't matter what you bring to the table because you bring nothing to the table. He's taken your sin and my sin upon the cross and he took our place. He died in your place. He was without sin. He could take your punishment. And what I love about the family of God, the the kingdom of God, is there's space for loads and loads more. And that's so important, space for you in God's family. Come home to the one who loves you, who knows you best, has got a plan and a purpose for your life, give you meaning and purpose, be with you and give you eternal life. Don't spend any more time lost. Join the party held in your name. What an amazing thing. For you out there, if you're not a Christian, you can know today, not only would we celebrate with you if you want to say, Jesus, I'm all in, I'm following you. There's a party in heaven. And if you was to do that today, the next two points are for you and they're for everyone else in the room. (coughs) We should be humble, grateful and party people. Because the fact that we're here at all is because Jesus sought you out and he sought me out. We were lost and now we're found. That makes us humble. That doesn't mean I can stand here and say, well, I'm better than you. I've been a Christian longer. I do this better or that better. And that person over there or that is better than me. It's just total humility, really, because it's all about him. It's not what I did. It's all what he did. We're no better than each other. We're all lost. But he found us. And when we're found, it makes us grateful. And that's what I'd love. We're going to respond in a few minutes. We've still got a bit of time to respond to, to this wonderful saviour. That if you're found, what a joy makes me so grateful that you saved me, redeemed me. Um, I think so. she's gone out there now, but she talked about being redeemed. We're a redeemed people by the blood of Jesus. He rescued you and I. If you was caught in that ravine or in that ravine like the sheep, he will save you. He will rescue us. He died on the cross for you and I that we don't stay lost but found. And I think it's wonderful. That's what Jesus does. And that makes me confident. I'm loved. It's not dependent upon my good works. It's not dependent upon what sort of week I've had. I'm loved, loved enough that Jesus died for me and I can come with real confidence, not in my own strength that I've done well this week or not or otherwise, but the God of the universe would die for me and would die for you and rose again. And if he's for me and if he's for you, who can be against you? I don't need, sometimes I feel like I do, affirmation, but I don't actually really need affirmation anyone. Jesus is my all in all. He's my affirmation. He's my identity. He's my security. And so now I am more and more a party person. Might not always look like it. If I danced, it certainly wouldn't look like it. But I am inwardly and, and even outwardly. I want to express that joy. God's done something amazing in our lives. We have great reason to celebrate. And I want to celebrate with you guys as we come back and worship and so if you're far from God, let's open, our, let's open our hearts to him. 
Once I was an enemy of God, but now God loves us. And we can get caught up. If you're a Christian here, we can get caught up in life. Life brings lots to us. We live in the 21st century in the southeast corner of London. A lot of us have busy jobs, lots of stuff going on. But let's reflect on the goodness of God, the scandal of grace that is Jesus dying for us. I was lost and now I'm found. And that's why Sundays are so important. It's good to be here. Sometimes the week can overwhelm us. We've got other things on our minds and come back. Oh, Jesus, this is what counts. This is what's important. Now we can do that every day of every minute of every day. But it's so good to come back and say, Jesus, it is all about you. It doesn't matter if I get a promotion or lose my job. It doesn't matter all these things. Jesus, my identity is in you. I'm found, whatever goes on in my world. So I'm going to ask you a few few questions. Because the Pharisees were saying, why do you hang out with them? Shouldn't you be with us? We can discuss the Bible a bit more, the Old Testament a bit more. We can add up a few more rules to make it even tighter. But Jesus said, I've come for the lost. And we're, we're his ambassadors. So here's some questions. Do you pray for your friends, work colleagues, people at the school gate, your neighbours? Do you have people who are far from God round for a cup of tea or a meal or go to Costa with them? Do you think about guests when they come amongst us? We're pretty good at that, to be honest. We're, we're, we're very good at that. But it's still good to remind ourselves, oh, look, there's someone over there. They, they seem new. Let's find out. And maybe inviting someone to church, maybe inviting them to an alpha course or something like that. That's where we should be living our lives. And I love, as you, do, you guys do, we love being with each other. But there's room for more. There's room for more. And Jesus loves the lost. So it's really important. So I'm just, what I'd love to do, we've got five, six, seven minutes, and I'm going to pray. And then uh, Lauren's going to...